0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 10th and L Podcast, brought to you by True North Church in Anchorage, Alaska. My name is Philip Coleman, and I'm joined today by Joshua Mangum. Josh, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good. It's it's a cloudy day, but it's a good day, so
1: I'm excited to be here. Finally get to be on the podcast. Yeah, I'm glad
0: to have you, man. Uh, For those who are listening, if you've been following along, we took a two-week break from recording the podcast. I do apologize that we didn't let you know we were going to be doing that in advance, Uh, But life got busy on this end. We're approaching a very important, very busy uh, business discussion this coming Sunday, Mm -hmm. and that's going to be followed by a number of pretty important votes for the future of our church. So for those who are members who are listening, you'll want to make that business discussion a priority because it will be the only setting in which we will be sharing those voting items uh, with those who are members. So anyway, uh, the last time that we came to you, I believe I came to you solo and uh, was able to discuss with you guys a three-part sermon series that we had called Welcome Home, where we dealt with hospitality, generosity, and uh, what it means to give our lives away in, in the kingdom of God. So uh, if you didn't have a chance to catch that, you can go back and listen to that. That'll be, uh, I think, episode 21. Today's episode 22. And uh, Josh, if we can, just to get us started today, I think many of our members know you. You've had a chance to preach a couple of times, mm-hmm. and those yeah. who have students certainly know who you are. Do you mind just giving us a brief um maybe overview of your life, short version, your testimony, mm-hmm. short what version. What got you to Alaska and yeah. and then eventually what brought you to True North? For sure. Uh so I grew up a pastor's kid. Uh, that's
1: usually how I introduce that just because it's really what got me plugged into ministry and the church. Uh grew up in Mississippi and got to see my dad be a youth pastor. So Even as a kid, I was dreaming about the day that I would one day get to be in the youth ministry, and I would say that uh, their roots were planted that eventually got me to where I am today, wanting to be a youth ministry leader uh, myself. So that's really where it started. Uh, At the age of 16, we moved to Georgia, where my dad became a lead pastor, and I was involved in a pretty incredible student ministry, and went to college, got a youth ministry degree, Moved up here right after college, and I have gone through a five-year process of just trying to figure out where I was going to settle. And about a year ago, I heard about this position that True North opened up, and here I am. So that's the shortest vo- version of that story. Uh, does not get into everything I had to learn to get here. But
0: Yeah, well, and hopefully, as we talk about youth ministry today, what's kind of more popularly modernly known as student ministry that's more mm-hmm. cool I remember when I was in uh, junior high and high school uh, every once in a while an older person from the stage at our church would refer to us as the young people yeah and, the, the the young yeah and I thought I don't know I think there's more to me than that but I get now I'm <laughs> old and I understand that you sort of watch that slip through your fingers eventually and you, you want to tell the young people it's not gonna last anyway yeah <laughs> um, I'd like to ask a couple questions about uh, your time in Alaska specifically. You play a role at our church that's sort of a dual role. Um, Mm -hmm. Hopefully less and less you're having to spend time working on operations. But your predecessor, that's all he did initially. And then Mm -hmm. eventually he took on a student ministry leadership role as well, starting to kind of shape a ministry from the beginning and try to get people to trust that we knew what we were doing. You've played a really strong architectural role coming after him. I think you've been able to build on a lot of what he did, but certainly you've needed to make changes and add a lot of yeah, things yeah, that weren't in play. Sure. Where where have you learned up to this point some of what you've implemented? Has it all been trial and error? Has it been <laughs> have you have you learned things when you were a part of other ministries in the state? Are there things about ministry in Alaska that are unique? Any or none or all of those questions would be great to hear from you about. Oh cool. We'll need quite some time then. No, we'll we'll see.
1: i I'll, I'll try to minimize this. Uh, something, that, some things that really played into my experience into building the architecture that you mentioned. Uh, I would say uh, camp ministry in college played a major role. I got to serve as a camp counselor at Canicut camps. I know we both relate there. We've had experience in camp ministry, and that was some of the greatest experience in ministry I've ever gained. Getting to work in a ministry that was just thriving and it was with students so uh, that was some of the best experience i gained i came up here moved up here with a youth ministry degree and that experience and that's really where i want to say my training for what i'm doing today began because coming up here i've, I've heard so many people say this uh, the college degree you get in the lower 48 does not prepare you for ministry in alaska i believe experience does And over the course of the last five years I worked it was really interesting and it came up in our interviews. Josh, you've been a part of four churches now in Alaska and now you're applying for this one. What's happened? Well, I've experienced the burnout of several pastors. I've experienced the end of a couple of churches and through that I just gained the experience of what building a church in Alaska is like and what it cost the sacrifice. And I got to come to True North after five years of just really battling, feeling like I couldn't settle, and because of the life here at True North Church, uh, just the thriving I've experienced here, it's enabled me really to take all these pieces I've learned in the past and, and build and get to build the youth ministry and build it to what I believe is a healthy student ministry in Alaska.
0: Yeah. Well, from the outside looking in, uh, it's been awesome to to never need to micromanage you, yeah. for sure. I think that a lot of guys who play a similar role to me have probably spent some time with student ministry, or like you alluded to before, my first full-time job was in summer camp ministry. And so- Great place to start. It is. So, it yeah. is. It forces you to learn all kinds of things that you don't want to learn and you wish you didn't know how to do, because yeah, then later sure. people <laughs> say, does anybody know how to do this? And you're like, yes, yeah. I can help with that. Yep. I- I do know how to unclog a septic system mm-hmm. and refill a swimming pool and yeah. et cetera. A so. puking kid. That's right. You know. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So you know, I think that it's easy for a guy like me to have strong opinions, but to not want to do any of the work of student ministry, because yeah, it's one for of sure. the hardest mm-hmm. areas of ministry, I think, in the local church. Um, so I want to do two things just for a second. First, I want to commend you. I think you've done a fabulous job with our students. Right, thank you. And you've been willing to specifically you've been willing to follow the lead of our elders in that I feel that you're not building something flashy. You're not trying to create an event driven ministry. You're not trying to create an entertainment driven ministry. And I think anybody who's been to True North on a Sunday would say that generally on Sunday mornings, we are very basic in our presentation of what it means Mm -hmm. for the local church to gather. You're gonna get probably four songs. The majority of those, you're going to be singing scripture. If it's not quoted scripture, then it's derived directly from passages in the Bible. You're going to hear some simple announcements, uh, hopefully a warm welcome, and then we're going to preach. And we're going to preach for 40-ish minutes uh, from the Bible directly, and then you're going to go home. And so if you wanted to build a student ministry that was going to be all smoke and mirrors and flash and excitement, and I think that that would probably be challenging at True North, but you could do it, and it's just been great to be in sync with you from the beginning. I think that what our students get looks very much like what their parents get, and that helps them. And I think it prepares them to be engaged and active in a local church after they're in high school, because they're not going to find, maybe in college, they might find a college ministry that's very Mm entertainment-oriented. But after that, no, those churches don't exist, (laughs) especially churches that need young people. Those churches are bare-bones, they're simple, they're very Mm -hmm. mission-oriented, because they have an objective to complete. They can't just sit around there and have a bunch of money and a bunch of extra employees to host big parties and stuff like that. Yeah. So I've appreciated that a lot. And then two, I want to speak to the fact that you've been willing to adapt like crazy. You've tried lots of stuff. Part of the the season of the, the life of our church is in right now, we are more uh consistent than we've been in a long time, but still very mobile oh, in, for sure. In our mentality. Yeah. I mean, you have parents coming from all over, north, south, Chugiak, uh, on base, and and you find a time and a day that works for them. You have students, some that are homeschooled, some that are public schooled, some that come from big families, some that are only children, some that, I mean, frankly, from my perspective, are pretty sheltered, and some that mm-hmm. are not at all. Their parents are almost raising them as if they're just kind of in the world. And yeah. so... To bridge all of those divides and to do it effectively so that your students are really eager to to show up, because I think mm-hmm. your students are. I can't think of one who has to come because their parents make them. Yeah. Um, I just think that's worth commending you for. So that's all. I don't need a response from you on that. Thank I just you. Want, you to, yeah, I want you to know that I think that of you, and your elders think that of you, and you've done a really fantastic job. Um, let me ask about the life of the student ministry lately, if I can. I know that you guys had a retreat in the last month. Mm -hmm. Um, you did some things through the summer. I know that you guys are back having your Thursday night life group. Just tell us a little bit about how that's going. You can pick one of those and and go a little deep on what was good about it, the challenges, what your hopes are for the future, or just kind of touch on all three of those a little bit and just let the listener know what's happening. Cool.
1: Yeah. I want to talk about fall retreat first because it really was an incredible experience. Uh, when I first moved up here and, just looked at student ministries, observed student ministries, different churches, really was praying through, where do I want to get plugged in and settle? I didn't see much collaboration between churches and student ministries. There were a few events. I can think of like Fusions, the big one, uh, but I I couldn't think of any, didn't really experience anything where multiple churches, student ministries were working together regularly. Uh, each youth pastor had like their own role to play in the planning phase for events. I just didn't see anything like that. And fall retreat for me was one thing I wanted to do. We have winter retreat, fall retreat. Winter retreat for us will be pretty exclusive. It will be just to True North Church. Uh, I love it because we just get to dive deeper as a student ministry. It's a weekend alone. Fall retreat is also cool in that we collaborate and work with other youth pastors and youth ministries and it's really cool because uh, we we bring in different visions, we bring in completely different students. Uh, if you could have just seen some of the competitions we had, and uh, just even worship, how, how students handled worship differently. It was really cool to bring different cultures to this fall retreat and see how everybody responded. And by the end of the week, I, I was just like, this is like the greatest blessing, getting to do ministry with other people who love Jesus and... Ha, ha, have a fun weekend, and uh, differences and beliefs did not hinder it at
0: all. It was just cool. It was a cool moment of unity. So, and if I can ask a follow up to that, you know, you're alluding to differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you and I work in ministry. We can probably imagine what those differences would be based mm-hmm. on the personalities that are in play and the denominations that they come from. But if you don't mind, help our listeners. What are some specific examples of ways that other student ministries? look different, worship different, act different, mm-hmm. think different than what's going on at True North, and how was having those differences positive for everybody at mm-hmm. the Winter Retreat? Yeah. so Or Fall Retreat, excuse me. Fall I said Retreat, the wrong one. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Go you're good. Uh, so one of the biggest ones is just what we do, how we spend our time in our regular meetings. Uh, for us on Thursday nights, uh, I, I tell our adult leaders all the time, the life group is the most important part. I teach, which is great. Uh, we're, we've started to do worship here the last couple of weeks, which has been really cool. But at the end of the day, the life group for us is the most important part. It's the students being able to talk about what's going on in their lives and how the teaching that they just experience impacts uh, their personal life day to day. So the life group is very important. Uh, some of the other student ministries we've experienced don't get that. That's not the focus. Uh, it might just be teaching. Uh, I know one student ministry, the way they connect is they they play video games, which is really cool. (laughs) That's how they connect. They have a lot of students that are very much into that. So we all showed up to Fall Retreat knowing that there would be different competitions. Uh, Our students are rather athletic. So for stuff like Ultimate Frisbee basketball, we, we excelled. But there was also a competition that was all video games. And that one student ministry just thrived in it and loved it. So that's just an example I can think of of the different cultures coming together and each one kind of shining in a fall retreat. So,
0: Yeah, when I worked in student ministry in Kentucky, uh, we used to go to—we um, we did the Southern Baptist Conventions youth camps, which would pop up all over the U.S. at different college campuses, the Fuge camps. You had Mission yeah. Fuge, Centrifuge. We did Mission Fuge because our church was small enough that we could not— Realistically, fundraise for kids to both go to camp and do a mission trip in the summer. Mm -hmm. Mission Fuge allowed kids to do all of the normal summer camp activities uh, in the afternoon, starting at about 4 p.m. through the late night. But then in the mornings, we would go to different mission sites. We would work in the city that we were, you know, where the college campus was that we Hmm. were all staying at. And so it was a good mix. But it was funny, we were there for three years, so we had three summers of summer camp. And each year, I brought a different version of our youth group, basically, and exactly what you described is totally real. There was one summer where it was all what I'll call um, outside-oriented kids, kids who just want to yep. throw the Frisbee and throw the football, and a lot of young junior high baseball players, mm-hmm. and some girls that were just really athletically oriented and really loved to mix it up outside. Yeah. And then by my third year, and maybe this is evident of my leadership, I don't know, but by my third year, we were mostly inside kids. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, You know, the youth ministry, we shifted a little bit in how we spent our free time. We tried to get um, a copy of Super Smash Brothers, and we would do a lot of that all together because like, I think like eight people could play at one time. So we took those kids to camp, and we didn't win anything, but we still had a lot of fun. Oh, for sure. It was really fun, and they were much more like, we'll just get a snow cone and hang out in the lobby of the dorm, and we'll play cards. And I was like, this is great because I love board games. But anyway, it is fun to see how uh, a ministry even if that's not your focus, which I know it's not your focus at all, mm-hmm. you still start to build those kinds of cultures. Um, if you don't mind, share with us some of the denominational backgrounds that joined you for Fall Retreat. I know one other Baptist church, I think, mm-hmm. right? Grandview participated, yeah. but I don't know past that. Who, who <laughs> else was with you?
1: So we had Grandview Baptist Church. Uh, we had First Baptist Church, mm-hmm. First Covenant Church. So that's a different denomination. And then Clearwater Baptist Church. So...
0: I guess that would be four Baptist churches. Yeah, I didn't know Clearwater was Baptist, but that's great. I I think they are. I don't know. (laughs) I think they might be unaffiliated. I don't know, non-denominational. Anyway, okay, cool. Yeah, that's good, man. I think that that, uh, there's not a lot of churches in town that have any kind of student ministry going on at all. So it's cool to know that churches that are of a similar normative size to ours, because we're not a giant church, that they can can participate in something like that. It's really neat, I think. It was really cool because uh, for some... Of the youth ministries, they were like, "This was
1: great for us." Uh, One one student ministry brought about six students, and they were just like, "We wouldn't be able to put anything this caliber together uh, for a weekend." So, it was really a blessing for all the youth pastors, all the youth ministries, in many
0: different ways. So, yeah, I think that there's a lesson there for us that it's sometimes easier to just protect our own kingdom, our Mm -hmm. own piece of you know (laughs) theological or denominational land that we've kind of staked out in the city. Yeah. But our ability to do is increased. We can do so much more when we do together. And I think that a fall retreat like what you put together is a great example of something where y- you can all have each other's back. You can make sure that you don't put those first covenant kids in a position mm-hmm. where you're going to put the squeeze on them about a difference between Baptist theology and covenant theology. Yep. You know, But you have to mm-hmm. trust each other to do that. You have oh, to yeah. honor each other. You have to give the other leader a chance to be away with her students so she can say what she needs to say that's maybe more covenant theology than Baptist mm-hmm. theology. So I think your willingness to do that and compromise is admirable. And as an elder who has... Uh, you know, supposed to have oversight over your ministry, I have a ton of confidence in your ability to Hmm. protect our students from teaching that is not biblical, while also giving them a good example of how to be maybe a bit more open-minded than the student ministry that I grew up in, necessarily. I don't know Mm -hmm. if your student ministry collaborated across denominations. We would do events like that when I was a teenager, but it was always only fun stuff. There was never any teaching at all. Hmm. There might be like a Christian magician or a strongman team or a Christian yeah. skate team, but Very basic. But they wouldn't be teaching anything. Yeah. It was just a, a, a way to get your friends there. And it's so funny because because we didn't really talk about our faith at those events, it mm-hmm. never turned into anything at school. Like I didn't want to talk to anybody at school about my faith because I hadn't really talked to them about my faith at the church event that we were all supposed to be yeah. at together, you yeah. know? So I think what you're doing is better than that. Cool. If I can shift gears a little bit here, um, just looking at our, our clock word about the halfway point, I'd like to hear from you, and I hope you'll be as specific as you can be. Um, What are maybe some different ideas, concepts, philosophies, worldviews? You go as big or little as you want here. But what are some things that have magnetism in the lives of teenagers right now, things that are drawing their attention, that are trying to inform their understanding of who they are or how they should live or what is right and wrong? You know, I don't want to just pick on rock and roll and drugs and sex and, you know, some of that's (laughs) probably still the case, but I'd like to hear from you really specifically, what do you hear about? What do you see in the lives of your students? You don't need to tell us their names or anything like that, but what's going on? Uh, And then maybe we can just chat through that a little bit, some of what the Bible would have to say about it. If those Mm -hmm. are new things, if those are things maybe that people who are not parents of teenagers, maybe there's a way for them to be contributing and helping and encouraging in the lives of those students. So Mm -hmm. anyway, that's a big question to bite into. Give me your best shot. Uh biggest thing I can think of,
1: and it comes first to mind, and it's just because of where our culture is at, the individualistic uh, lifestyles we live, these students want to be involved. They want to make decisions. They want to have an impact, a hold on the student ministry, and uh, want to, I guess, want to have some decision-making, want to have a say in what goes on in the student ministry. and. I have several students right now that come to my names of just students wanting to do things. I had a student a couple of weeks ago just say, hey, I think I would be good at doing announcements tonight. Will you let me have the microphone and do that? Uh, So just passing that on, I think that's one of the biggest things is students won't... I really want to even go back to like just quarantine and being stuck at the house and... Maybe they got involved in like YouTube channels or something like that, where they saw people step up, use their creative styles, and and just create things. I think students are in a place right now where they want to create. And I'm in the process right now, actually, of trying to figure out how we're going to do that as a student ministry. I, I want to develop certain teams that allow these students to use their gifts. So uh, we just started worship, as I said. So we have multiple students who are interested in helping leading in worship. Uh, Some other things, just media. Uh, We have some students that do uh, love the computer and creating uh, logos and things like that, you know, allowing students to have an impact there and a hold on that. Uh, Yeah, so I'm thinking through that. Games. Uh, Games are a lot of fun. There's a lot of creativity that can happen there. So we're doing that. And you might be like, Josh, how are you going to manage all these teams? Well, I'm not. I'm going to also allow adult leaders to manage these teams and uh, use their own gifts to pour into students who might have similar gifts as them to develop and disciple. So,
0: Yeah, good. I think that that feeling of uh, wanting to contribute is something that even a person like me who is from the millennial generation, yeah. you know, we want badly to know that what we are doing matters, that it makes a difference, a measurable difference, that oh, things sure. are left, if not better than when we found them, different from when we found them, uniquely shaped by us. And that's individualistic. I think that maybe uh, what's now Happening in Gen Z is not just a desire to do that, but a need to yeah, do it, or need. else, or mm-hmm. else you're not worth like who am I? Your if breath, I'm right? Not doing yeah, 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 yeah. That there, it's 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 an identity thing, and you know, frankly, there's only so much creative space. There's only so much, especially within Christianity. There yeah. have to be boundaries on what we will and won't do, what we do and don't believe. You know, mm-hmm. how we practice our faith, and so. I think that's a good thing for a student to want to involve themselves and to help. But I know from experience, it won't just be a matter of you unleashing them. Yeah. You'll also have to do quite a bit you're, of coaching yeah. and reviewing and helping. And, you know, you've got some students right now who possibly would take that poorly, would take those no's mm-hmm. poorly, you know. And so helping them, that's a maturing process. And I just, I'm, I'm so glad that you're there to do that. I think you'll do it really, really well. Um, What would you say to a parent who is—just be very general here, I don't want to get too specific—but a parent or maybe even like an older sibling or, um, you know, somebody who who has a cousin who's a teenager or is about to be, um, what are some things that uh, a a, a grown-up can be encouraging a student to do, to participate in, um, that will help them mature in their faith? I mean, I think the obvious ones, right, are going to be they need to be reading their Bible, they need to be mm-hmm. part of a church. But are there things that you've seen in Gen Z that are particularly negative? Maybe mm-hmm. it's cell phone addiction, or it's pornography addiction, or yeah. it's exposure to drug culture, or I don't know. But are there ways that a parent can start to have conversations about that stuff? uh maybe you can even speak to those things in a way where a parent doesn't have to be so freaked out or scared that their kid is into a bunch of stuff that they don't know about you can help us with that a little bit so how would you how would you encourage somebody to have a positive influence in the life of a teenager given all the things that that teenager is probably exposed to in their daily life yeah i mean these kids face
1: temptation all sort i mean we've we've all been there if you're post-high school, you've you've experienced the same t- temptations. They haven't changed. They've probably morphed a little bit, but I mean, they're all still the same. T- temptation is very much the same. So what do you do? And I believe, I, I think of the passage of Scripture uh, that says, uh, if you Clean your house. I spoke about this. I can't remember where it was. If you uh, clean your house, but don't like fill it with anything else, the 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 evil spirits will just come back and fill in that space. Uh, for these student, students who face temptation every day, uh, they they want belonging, I believe, and I believe they want to go deeper. And I think one of the biggest barriers we face. Uh, with the youngest, the younger generation with high school students, is maybe we 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 come to the conclusion that they can't go deeper. Maybe it's because we look at our past and see how we didn't go deeper. But well, that's not the case. Uh, some I've known some high school students that are way deeper than uh, most adults I've known. And what I would encourage is just just push for that, go deeper, uh, explore more, dive into scripture. You can study his word. Uh, at any age, and just you can find application for your daily life on your own. And we push that all the time in the youth ministry. Hey, you can be the one to open up this passage of Scripture, look into it, find application, and find meaning for your life. Uh, Yes, please come Thursday nights and come to Life Group and hear the teachings, but you can do this on your own at home. So I would hope that any parent would just continue to encourage them that in that at home, just push for that further exploration and dive deeper.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there are uh, probably two natural bad habits of parents that work against that. So I'm going to just sort of maybe put my foot in my mouth here. I hope not. I'm going to yeah. go out on a limb and you go can ahead. tell me at the end if this is right or wrong. Yeah. Uh, I think number one, probably knee-jerk reaction from a parent because this is like, all of, and I don't even know, if Josh. You're you're not a lot younger than me, but I'm I kind of grew up. As <laughs> you only have child. more experience. I just <laughs> I just know sometimes cultural stuff that old people know because my parents just treated me like a grown up a lot of my life. And anyway, so the, a lot of John Hughes movies from the late '80s, like The Breakfast Club, Dead Poet Society, things like that. There's this idea that a parent can never tell their kid what that parent was into when they were in high school. That's, I could never tell rough. my kid yeah. I smoked weed. I could never tell my kid I used to go, you know, to keg parties in the pasture out yeah. in rural East Texas where I grew up or whatever. Um, I think that's a bad knee-jerk reaction. I mm-hmm. think that there's definitely uh, a posture of the heart in a teenager where maybe they're going to use that information to go, well, you have no right to tell me. Mm-hmm. But that's probably a more deep-rooted authority issue. That's yeah, not that's a thing a a Parent issue. Yeah, yeah, the parent's not going to run into that just because they told their kid, you know, that they used to make mistakes. So I would say that's number one, maybe that's going to prevent a parent from having the necessary authority to encourage their kid to go deeper is if a parent is living like they don't have any real issues. Mm-hmm. It's very hard for me to take advice from someone else when I'm having life-changing problems yeah. and they f- seem like they never have yeah. and their they've, attitude they, on it they're is... They're perfect. They've, they've figured everything yeah, out Yeah, their attitude on it is, well, here's a couple Bible verses, You know, take two and call me in the morning. And I think that children... And, and pardon my implied French here, but I think children have a very strong BS radar. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. think they know when we're being dishonest oh, with them. Of course they know, yeah. Uh, every time I've ever counseled a couple who's going through divorce, uh, unfortunately when I've counseled a, a parent, a widow or widower whose spouse has died, there's always a temptation on the parent's part to hide the facts from the kids, to somehow protect them. But parents don't understand, it's not the information about the thing that hurts the kid, it's the thing. And the kid's already dealing with the thing. Oh, yeah. And so that's going to be true if your child is prematurely pregnant, if your child is in a really hardcore relationship with somebody who has a toxic personality, if your kid is rebelling against the school system or the establishment to some degree, or just is embarrassed by you and doesn't want to be around you, or they're drinking or they're into drugs, or they are just wanting to be countercultural to find themselves, I think that probably, if we're honest with ourselves, oftentimes as parents, we did that same stuff. Mm -hmm. And it might even be, our personality and the way that our personality has developed has actually impacted our kids to go down a similar road to us.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. The Bible
0: speaks to this idea all over the place in the Old and New Testaments that there is a sense of generational inheritance, not just of physical traits like eye color and height, but of spiritual practices and attitude about the world. And so that's the first. And it sounds like from what you're saying, you would affirm that that's true, that that's a negative barrier in the life of a parent.
1: Yeah, it's definitely negative. Okay. And, and it prohibits, yeah, going back to what we've,
0: it prohibits you from going deeper. So, yeah, right. It's a yeah. huge barrier because your kid, you are uniquely positioned to lead your child. But if you're not actually leading them, which involves going in front, going first and not knowing if they're going to follow you, mm-hmm. you're not really giving them a chance to follow. You can't lead somebody from behind. You can't prod your child <laughs> into a lifestyle that you are unwilling to live or into a level of honesty that you are unwilling yeah. to share with them. It's
1: interesting because it just links us directly to our own faith and yes. how we have to have faith in Jesus and know that they will follow. Yep. Or might not,
0: but still, yeah. Yeah, and so, okay, so that's one. And then I think the second barrier I've seen in parents uh, of all ages, even parents who have adult children, it's so funny, at True North, this is a tangent, but I think it's relevant to our conversation today. At True North, we about twice a year will have folks in their 50s or 60s come to our church and join, and join membership, because Mm -hmm. their adult child has attended our church and really likes what God is doing here. And it's funny to me because I don't think our church is necessarily at the top of the list of these adult people who have adult children. These older, I don't mean older in an unkind way, but just older than me, older than me by 20 or 30 years. Um, You know, to be willing to submit to elders that are all in their 30s is a challenging thing. To be a part of a church that has a ton of young kids when you just finished getting your kids out of your household, Mm -hmm. it's just a different stage of life. And those folks tend to find each other, and I think that's a good thing. But one of the things that brings them to us is they want so badly to see their child have a genuine spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. And they often will come to me and they'll say, man, you guys have like cracked the code. I haven't been able to get my kid <laughs> to go to church, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And again, like we said at the top of this episode, the way we do church is so simple.
1: Yeah. I mean, we do basic.
0: hardly anything extra at all. The one thing we're going to ask you to do every week is participate in a small group. Mm-hmm. That's it. And we want you to be really hardcore committed to that. And that's different from some churches. But we don't have a ton of kids programming during the week. There aren't a lot of Bible studies, a bunch of different prayer groups. None of those things are bad, but we don't—we just don't have the time and the energy to put that stuff together right now. Yeah. And so when people come to me and they kind of want me to help them understand what the key is that we found, how did we finally crack the code to get their kid in church, it's typically the authenticity mm. of our leadership style that we Are clear about everything we don't hide anything our elders welcome questions we welcome skeptics we welcome people who are not sure who don't know who maybe grew up in a christian home and need a safe space to question all of that and rebuild it Mm -hmm. so that's the second barrier to me is i think that parents fear if their child is not always making spiritual progress parents begin to panic Hmm. they they have this linear idea of from the time that the child was born until they go to heaven, that they should always be maturing, making progress, getting quote-unquote better or closer to Jesus. And unfortunately, if that parent were to look into their own life, they'd have to admit that that hasn't been their own spiritual experience. Hmm. I don't know any parent in their 40s, 50s, or 60s who would say, it's been one straight line (laughs) between me and Jesus. It's been wandering. It's been fear. It's been panic. It's been divorce. It's been addiction. It's been death and loss. And we don't realize that that's not just our story, that's the human story. Yeah, it is. So when we don't give our kids room to have those experiences, when they're not allowed to not believe anymore or have doubts or be skeptical, if we respond to those things with anger, what we may not realize is that we are confirming what they suspect. They Mm -hmm. suspect that they have to be perfect to fit into our family, that they have to be a perfect Christian to fit under the umbrella of our love. And I know many Christian parents who always say, I love you no matter what. I'll always love you. Nothing will change that. That's easy to say when the time of proving that comes and you do lash out at your child and you do accuse them of being unchristian or unfaithful, or in some way you begin to twist their faith to put pressure on them. Mm -hmm. I don't think parents realize how damaging that can be. Oh, for sure. And in an attempt to push your kid to go deeper you fail them. Again, you've got to be inviting them into a thing that you already have. Yeah. And so you need room in your own faith to be a skeptic. You need room in your own faith to not have all the answers, for there to be some mystery, and for your faith to be spiritual, for you to mm-hmm. be living, experiencing God's truth and mercy and love, not just studying it and learning about it, but living it out. So let me turn that into a question for you, Josh. Um, if there is a parent who's dealing with that right now in the life of their teenager, they've got a child who maybe doesn't want to come to student ministry. Um, I can think of one student in particular who had a pretty transformative fall retreat based on what you told me. And Mm -hmm. my wife, Andy, was there as well and got to witness this. Um, How do you coach a parent who maybe feels like they're just they've tried everything and mm-hmm. all that's happening is their kid is drifting further away, quote unquote, further away from the church, further away from God. They don't care, they don't and it's surprising because the parent can remember 4 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, little Judith or whatever, it's not any kid's name. I just made that name up at the top of my head. She she wanted to be at church so bad. She loved VBS, mm-hmm. she loved Sunday school, and now she's embarrassed and she doesn't want to wear a dress on Sunday and she doesn't want to take communion. What can you say to a parent just to help calm them down
1: a little bit? (laughs) Well, here's what's cool. If you're the parent, you know your child, so you know what they like, what they dislike. I would probably find the thing that they like most. Uh, My parents did a good job of this. Uh, They knew that I liked food probably the most. So they would take me out to eat, and it was really cool. And we would sit and talk and just enjoy time together. There was a relationship there. What I would encourage you to do is find whatever that special thing is your child likes and just go and do that. <laughs> do not put any pressure on them. Do not ask them to do anything else because it's probably the list of things they feel like they need to do that's pushing them away. It's not you. You're their parent. They uh, probably love you even though they don't show it. They, they know you care, Okay. The issue is this list of things that you're expecting them to do, and I would do everything to avoid adding to that list, and uh, also do everything to just show, hey, we have a relationship. Uh, I'm either your father or mother, and I am taking this time just to be with you.
0: That's where I would start. Yeah, I think that's great. And if I can tack on to that, I think that, um, you know, we talk a lot I say we, I've not talked a lot about this from the pulpit (laughs) because we haven't preached a book that deals with parenting very much, but you hear, if you are paying attention to the evangelical world at all, you'll run into these blog posts or online articles or videos, you know, studies, things like that, where wise people will encourage parents to be reading the Bible with their kids, Hmm. and that that's sort of just the most basic form of family worship at home, maybe pray a little bit, maybe sing, if you guys can sing, sing together to the Lord one song. That's it. I think read sing pray is the most basic formula for family worship, but the read part can feel like having your toenails list, ripped out of yeah. your feet. I mean, it's list just of It's hard. And so here's what I would say, maybe an unspoken element of that reading is if you read a passage that you don't understand, admit that to your child. Mm-hmm. Don't feel like you have to read some moral lesson back into it to prove to your kid that you have some kind of spiritual authority in their life. Yeah, If you read Exodus 4 and you see that Zipporah has to emergency circumcise Gershom on the floor of this <laughs> way station so that God doesn't kill Moses, and you go, yeah. I don't know what to do with that, ask your kid first. Maybe they'll have some insight. Potentially, right? If yeah. they're a believer, that's totally possible. I'll be impressed if they have some insight. Yeah, you on should that email one. us I, if you yeah, have a yeah. good response to that. I want to know that student. One. Uh, but if what happened, what will probably happen, happens, which is that you both don't know. What a great opportunity to have sort of a meta conversation mm-hmm. and not just talk about the passage, but now say, "Hey, I'm a grown up, and there's still parts of the Bible that I don't know yeah. really what's going on, and and I need to use study tools, or maybe together we can go and meet with one mm-hmm. of the elders." This happened, there was a young man in our congregation when we preached the final plague, and hmm. God killed all the firstborn in Egypt. He had a major, this boy is probably 5th or 6th grade, he had a major moral issue with God taking out his discipline on a bunch of, in his mind, innocent children, Yeah. when it was their parents who had been wrong before God. And so his mom brought him right down, they uh, are a family that sits kind of up in a, another part of the church, the balcony area, and his mom brought him right down after the service was over, we talked for a minute. Uh, He was not satisfied with my answer. I just tried to tell Mm -hmm. him, I think you're probably the only person in this room who actually today had empathy. Yeah. I think everybody else is so used to this story, they don't even care. It's just like, it's a cartoon in their head. It's Mm -hmm. not even real. And for you, it's so real, it's offensive. So I first try to affirm that, that's good. This is a story that's supposed to give you a very strong emotional response. But then number two... I just tried to reason with him a little bit, and I told him, look, you're going to need some time to think about this. Mm-hmm. You probably are going to want to get back together with me. If you still want to talk, that's up to you. And so he did. Two weeks later, his mom said, hey, would you be willing to come and pick him up one morning, and you guys can go eat breakfast? We'll pay for your breakfast, and then you could drop him off at school. And I was like, yeah, we'll do it. So we got up early, and... And it was uncomfortable. I mean, it wasn't my favorite thing. It's a reason I don't sit down and do one-on-one kids counseling. But Mm -hmm. we were able to process, and he was able to take his time because he was embarrassed that he had the question. He could tell it was making his parents uncomfortable, but he also knew that they loved him. And all of those nuances and complexities deserve to be taken seriously. It would cheapen his Christian experience for me to just tell him, well, if you had faith, you'd believe that God was good no matter Mm -hmm. what. And so and I think he was expecting that. I think he kept kind of trying to push me to see if I was going to eventually just get mad and say... You just must not be a Christian. And I was like, no, man, I think you're God can handle your questions. So, just that's an example of how I saw a parent take the concerns of their child so seriously while Mm -hmm. refusing to just rush in and try to fix it. Yeah. To give the kid an opportunity to have an experience that's a more grown up experience. Mm -hmm. The Bible draws that out of us. And so, I think that's along the same lines to what you're talking about making sure as a parent that you create space and incentivize. The, ry- the rhythms of your life that are Christian, Christian mm-hmm. rhythms. If we're going to worship together, can we make it something that the kids can enjoy a little bit? If yeah. we're going to go to church on Sunday, can we carve time out after and give our kids some agency in where we eat? But then while we eat, we have an expectation that we're going to process what we heard today, cool. even if we disagree, right? Even if we end up bumping up against each other. So, Josh, we got to land the plane for now. Um, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I think more than anything else that you said, just a chance to get to know you better is so valuable yeah. for our congregation. Hey, our- it was fun our members who don't have a teenager, don't have a student right now and haven't had a chance to get to know your ministry and your influence. I will say the majority of our parents are on track to eventually need and use your influence in their kids' lives. Mm-hmm. We have like 60 kids, fifth grade and yeah. younger, that are all gonna be in youth ministry in the next praying five for years. for It's yeah, gonna be fun. That's right. So, uh, man, I appreciate your time. Church, for those of you who are listening, I'll just give you a heads up that uh, next week, Um, I'm going to be sitting down with Tyler Wolf again. Tyler and I were able to do a handful of episodes back at the beginning of the podcast, and uh, he and I are going to discuss specifically next week worship music. Uh, Singing is not the only way to worship the Lord, but it is one of the ways that we worship God uh, when we meet together congregationally on Sunday mornings, as well as sometimes at prayer nights and other events. And so Tyler and I are going to talk through—we actually have a flowchart, and I don't know that we'll publish it necessarily, but we're going to talk through some of the steps, the questions that we ask when we encounter a new worship song that we like, we want to make sure that it's appropriate to be sung among the congregation. So we're going to get into some of that, talk about how Tyler puts a set together, how does he train worship musicians, and hopefully just give you some insight into a pretty major part of what we do on Sunday mornings. As always, you can submit questions, comments, concerns, or podcast topic ideas to the email address info, I-N-F-O, at truenorthalaska.com. If you'll use the subject line podcast, Questions, that will help us find your questions and get them answered as soon as we can. Church, we love you. We are here for you, and we hope that this has been an encouragement. We'll see you soon.